Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Brad Goldberg. Brad is currently the Director of Pitching Development at The Ohio State University. Um, Before I get into some of his background, I just want to remind everyone, if you could head on over to iTunes and subscribe so you don't miss any of the shows and awesome guests we want to have, um, leave us a five-star rating and write us a short review as well. That would be incredible. Um, It helps us get the word out to more and more coaches and players alike so we're able to share all these great messages that these coaches have and able to teach some of the the newer techniques and the older techniques as well um, to more and more people so please make sure to head on over to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review on this episode we have Brad Goldberg Brad is a former MLB pitcher who really has a great feel for analytics and technology, which makes him a a dual threat because he has the experience, but he can also apply the the data as well, which is great, really big help for a lot of players out there. Um, In this episode, we get over kind of, you know, his own background as a pitcher, pitching in the major leagues, um, but not, you know, unfortunately because of an injury, he wasn't able to stay for very long and kind of give some, insider on why it's so tough to pitch in the major leagues what it's like facing major league hitters versus minor league hitters and then we get into a lot of you know what they do at the Ohio State University you know how they use the classroom setting how they use the core velocity belt technology all these different things so if you're into pitching if you love pitching um, and it's just kind of the uh, forefront of the pitching realm. Uh, this is going to be a great episode for you to check out and listen to um, because, you know, I learned a lot just listening to Brad, and I'm sure if you stay around and listen, you will too. So without um, anything else, ladies and gentlemen, here is Brad Goldberg. All right, we are now live with Brad Goldberg, who is the Ohio State Director of Pitching Development um, and also former major leaguer. Can't, can't leave that out, too. you got your jersey in the background, which is awesome. Um, Brad, thanks for coming on today, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. So we've actually – we have a couple uh, – a teammate, you know, you played with actually one of my buddies, Jacob May at Coastal Carolina and the White Sox organization. And I think it's it's pretty cool how – and unique how you're you're up to date on all the analytics and rap soto and we'll get into all that stuff too but you also have a lot of experience pitching and so it seems as if you have an advantage because you can apply your feel through the experience you have with all the analytics and numbers which not everyone can do i mean i i didn't play in the big league so i i have some experience but not to the level of maybe someone like yourself how do you apply that feel and that experience and then combine it with the data to help out your pitchers? Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about guys our age or in our age range, right, the data analytics uh, trend is somewhat new, right? So we were all brought up on, you know, the old school or, or the feel and the hard work and, and all that stuff, which, which is still always going to be there, right? There's always feel. Um, it's kind of tough because you can't really communicate coordination, right? 
But if you can find, you know, you can tell guys, hey, I've been here, I've done this, I've tried this. And I think something that's really helped me is I was always a trial and error guy. Um, I always had ability, but I, I was always kind of searching for stuff mechanically, mentally, any edges. Um, and you mentioned kind of parlaying the, the data with the actual feel and experience and success and failure, all that. When I, I got traded to Arizona in uh, 2018. And a lot of their coaches were former pros who were pretty, um, pretty solid with the data analytics or at least dangerous enough to give you some info. And that just piqued my interest. And when I was with the White Sox, they were not heavy on the data at all. And I kind of reached a stagnant point of my stuff. Um, from a stuff standpoint, it was like really, I was throwing really hard. My stuff was sharp, had no idea what to do with this. And now looking back, like it's crazy because this was only 2017 when I made my debut. Um, I got traded to Arizona. The first thing they do with me is give me a printout of like TrackMan information and where I should be pitching and why. And I went on this like absolute crazy tear for like two months. I think I gave up a solo home run in two months and that was it. And I was like, okay, this is, there's something to this. And then I just kind of dove, I mean, talk about a rabbit hole. I'm still going down and I love it. And it's, it's fun because it's attainable, but it's something new in baseball, and I'm sure you're kind of having similar uh, thought process, processes and, and thoughts about the whole uh, data analytics revolution, which is fun because it's just a new pioneer. So what? So you had some. You had you saw instant success right away once you started, you know, looking at the numbers and kind of just seeing what you did well. Why? Why did you stop playing? Was it an injury? Was it just age? And you knew that your 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 best years were behind you type of a thing yeah i, I blew out uh, my terry's major so one of your four rotator cuff muscles mm. on the posterior side of the shoulder uh one pitch through it and it felt like my arm like flew off my body towards the uh the hitter it was like i thought my lat like ripped um but it's kind of like where like the posterior side of your shoulder capsule meets like your armpit um it like attaches like your lat to your shoulder essentially and um, no surgery, came back to spring training. I missed like six to seven months um, between like the injury and rehab, came back, got back up to like low 90s, but I couldn't rebound anymore. Like I would throw an inning and it would be like, I need another day. I need another day. I need another day. And, and durability was like one of my best attributes. I like, I always led the White Sox minor leagues in appearances. Um, and I like getting off the mound a lot. I needed that feel. And that got taken away. Talked to the Diamondbacks. They're like, we're not going to send you to double A. So we're going to release you. And that's when I was like, all right, what do I do? And if I can't rebound, I'm somewhat worthless. <laughs> so uh, that was somewhat of an easy decision. I missed the, uh, the camaraderie and the competition of the one-on-one -on -one stuff. But I'm so happy to still be in the game. And uh, I guess I compete through golf now and, and through the players' lenses. Are you pretty a golfer? I've seen a couple of videos on Twitter. Um, I, what's good? I mean, I, I try to be as good as I can. I'm That's like me, a, me too. Me handicap. Too. Yeah, I'm like an eight and a half. Uh, starting to get better, realizing that new technology uh, actually works in golf. <laughs> uh, I've had some old clubs and starting to buy some new stuff, and it's very eye opening. Yeah, I need to get some new clubs too. I'm playing later today, and I play with one of my buddies who's essentially like a professional to me he's not an actual professional but to me he's just so much better and my I view my success on the golf course as how many balls did I lose that day so last last time we played I think I lost 20 it was 18 20, 18, 
20. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was embarrassing. It, it, it's so mental. I mean, the game. And then it's so funny how you, you have people who come up behind you um, who are waiting on you and then you're hitting. And so my first thought is, man, I bet these guys are really good. I bet they're studs. And I, they're, I'm like, please don't like mess this shot up. Please don't mess it up. And then I, of course, mess it up and just thinking that they're, you know, gonna, I'm going to be embarrassed or something like that. So it's more of a fun thing for me anyway, I'm sure for you too. But kind of going back to, um, you know, your development pitching wise and the analytics and everything, when you got done playing, did you know you wanted to stay in the game in some capacity, especially something to do with analytics and, and numbers, which I, is what you do now? I just was curious if that's, that's what you envision for yourself. Yeah, so I, I wanted to be in the game, that's for sure. Um, the data analytics kind of – so it started with the Diamondback story I told you there. Um, but I, I think people are – you know, if, if you don't think this stuff is here to stay, I, I think you got another thing coming. Um, any industry, whether it's baseball, whether it's finance, whether it's whatever you want it to be, Industry X, there's never been an industry where technologies come in and then they said, nope, not good enough. Let's go back to the file cabinets and, you know, the Rolodexes. Um, and I think you're seeing the process for a lot of player development and, and, you know, wins and run prevention expedited here. There's not a lot of guesswork anymore. Obviously, the feel part of it is humongous. Uh, with that being said, if you can, you know, everyone talks about feeling real. If you can combine those and you can do it faster, I think you're seeing results uh, quicker and a lot of guys, a lot less guesswork, which is, uh, which is awesome when you have a plan for, for a guy and a team and a, you know, a university or an organization, it's, it's been, you know, pretty fun to watch the last two, three years. It seems like the game's changed more than the last 50. It, it's like so crazy. Yeah. That, that's a great point on, uh, technology coming in and never leaving no matter what arena uh, or profession it is. Um, even my, my mom specifically, she's a doctor and always telling me about new stuff and, and new technology that they're having in it. Um, and it, it's, it, it's there to stay, like you said, in, in every single industry. And so you, you got to buy in, you got to open your, open your eyes a little bit. So when you're, when you're working with, um, I know you give, you give some lessons and do some group lessons and stuff like that as well. When you're working with players, what are you looking for in terms of their delivery? And I know, and I guess I'm, I mean, want to start off by talking about delivery and more so pitching mechanics. I know you, I know you've done on base you. Um, and so maybe we can get into that a little bit as well. Um, but like, what are you looking for when you're working with a, a, a high school player in a lesson? Um, yeah, that's a good question. So I, I like unique. I really do. So the more that I talk to people and know and people who are smarter than me and have more experiences, I, I do like outlier characteristics. So I'm not looking for the prettiest. I'm looking for maybe a little bit different. But I, I guess the three things I would tell you is I like, I love tempo. I love balance. And I love arm whip. I love layback. I think those are three things like that just catch my eye before I before I assess them or before I even get them on Rap Soto if we have that. Um, on base, you is very recent to uh, Dan Delush, our pitching coach, and I as we just did the certification probably less than a month ago. Um, so we're still trying to um, get our feet wet with that, but it was a really awesome day, and I think it's going to be uh, pretty valuable to us individually, and more importantly for the university and our players. Um, but yeah, I think 
balance, tempo, and layback are things that, that I think you see most guys who have, are having success are, are probably comparable traits. When you say layback, you mean, and again, I'm not a pitching, pitching guy, but like just your arm. External rotation. Yeah, yep, ex- okay. external, external rotation of the arm. So, yeah, when the arm, essentially a foot strike, you know, is their arm creating enough width um, to, you know, to launch at a, at a really good, you know, velocity? And can they get it out front extension-wise? What, is there a way to increase layback? Because you say you like to see it. Are there, are there ways that you get them to increase it if you want to see more? Possibly with mechanics. I would say a lot of it has to do with, with the prehab stuff, the, the post-throw stuff, the band work, lifting, stuff like that. Um, I might have to defer a little bit to our training side on that. But sure, there definitely is. I think there's definitely ways you can go postural changes. You can go slot changes. Um, some guys, they can go back to their natural – if they're trying to change their slot or go back to their normal slot. Um, I think everyone's unique and has found the most efficient way to let their body move. So, um, yeah, but listen, if everyone could lay it back, you know, uh, way past 90 degrees, I think we'd all take that pill as pitchers. Yeah. But there's a reason, you know, why everyone can't, you know, be the, uh, the elite of the elite. And uh, when you say tempo, do you mean just they get the ball and go? They're not getting the ball walking around the mound? Is that what you mean by tempo? Um, a little bit of both. So I, I kind of – I've had this talk with a couple of our guys because they've asked me about, you know, when the game speeds up and you, and you move levels or, you know, there's runners on base. There is game tempo, right? There's – like people talk about pace. We want to get the ball and go. We don't want to sit around too much. But also in the delivery, we do want to have a little bit of pace. We don't want to be too slow. Sometimes being slow makes our arm slow, our rotation slow. So I want to see guys get down the mound, create a little bit of momentum towards their target, and, and go from there too. I think that increases velocity, takes some of the thinking out of it, and promotes fast arm, fast movements. I think it also what it also does is it makes the hitter uncomfortable. I think – to your point, if I'm if a hitter's in the box and the the pitcher, it's everything's going slow, motion slow, tempo slow. It gives him more time to, um, you know, just be more comfortable. You know, he's in the box, and I guess I'm trying to think of the right words to explain. But I just I remember thinking and feeling the same thing of of being in the box and having a pitcher essentially quick pitch or go through quickly versus someone who is really really slow and I feel like I have all the time in the world to to make a move so I I completely agree with that um when when you're talking about um you know way back and then the, the next question I would have on top of that would be um release point so I, I was listening to a podcast the other day to help me prepare for for this one on uh rap soda is actually with Matt Boyd and talking a little bit about how he was experimenting with his like release point, you know, dropping it down a little bit, coming up a little bit. Do you do, do you do that with any of the players that, you know, you give lessons to, or are they usually, you're just trying to get them to simplify everything? Yeah, uh, I guess that's dependent on each individual. Um, I've been looking more into like release heights um, and like accessing parts of the zone. Um, it's pretty interesting to think about, you know, we want guys, well, I guess a lot of the models in the big leagues right now are they want low release height guys with high spin. If you think about accessing the top of the zone, if you could spin it well and you get it out front a little bit more lower to the ground, you can let that spin work for that hop and that ride for that induced vertical. 
Um, do you watch a guy like a Mike Soroka with the Braves, a, a, you know, a really high release point guy, high release height? He's, he's less spin sinker guy. He's going to access the bottom of the zone a little bit earlier um, or easier. Sorry, not earlier. Um, so that, it's something that is definitely I'm starting to think about a little bit more with attack angle through release height. Um, and we're getting a track man, so that'll be a lot easier because you can match that with extension. Um, but I wouldn't say it's like at the top of my priority, just like changing a release point. But I think organically through some of the movements, maybe getting your first move right, your load right, or your tempo right, it might change that. What are your thoughts on loading the hips as a pitcher? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, um, a catchphrase right now, right? Even in hitting and pretty much any like rotary athlete. Um, I think if we can learn the hinge and we, and if that's the load that we're looking for, like, I wish I had a better definition. Like, I don't really know the medical or the, you know, the actual technical like definition for loading the hip, but I know the feeling I know, you know, hopefully what it looks like and how to translate it. Um, we use the core velocity belt from Lance Wheeler and it's something that I, I really like. And it's just kind of taught me and our guys the correct way to hinge or at least to start that pattern. Um, so I believe in it. I just wish I had a better foundation for what it actually means to load the hip. Yeah. If that yeah, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, Cause everyone says it right. And I can feel it, but I don't really know how to essentially describe what a loading of the joint would be, except that I want to feel it in my glute, and my hamstring. I don't want to feel it in my quad. Yeah. And, it, and I guess going, going off of that, I know I've watched some video of Scherzer. It seems as if he loads more into his quad than his hip. Um, do you see guys who are more quad dominant pitching who have success or is he more of an outlier? Oh, I think Scherzer's a, a huge outlier. Well, okay, um, that, that was a stupid question. Yeah, def, he's definitely an outlier. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely an outlier. Yeah, because even metrically, like some of his, his stuff doesn't uh, – I haven't dove in a ton to him, but I think he's like kind of popular in the pitching community because like metrically he's not some like outlier crazy, right? But I think when you ask people who the best pitcher in the world is, he's normally in the top five, right? Yeah. Um, I don't think he's like a crazy quad loader, but like I'm not going to sit here and pick apart Max Scherzer's mechanics, yeah. that's for yeah. sure. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's – listen, we're not going to cookie-cut guys and just say you have to be a hip loader, you have to be a vertical shin guy. Because some guys have physical limitations. Some guys, again, we talk about unique. That's just how they've, they've taught themselves to be as efficient as possible. Um, so I think there's some, there's some aspects of guys' um, movements where if they need to get in their quad a tiny bit or roll to their toe and they're still getting people out and they're being consistent with it, like who am I to tell them to stop doing that, right? I just think we want repeatability and consistency in, in that portion of it. When they're pushing off the mound with their back foot, where do you want um, that foot pressure? What part of the foot? Uh, inside back heel. Okay. So like if you're so a right, same as hitting. Wanted, okay. Yep. So we don't want to be toes. We talk about three points of pressure. Learn this at Pitchapalooza. We want to talk about um, – Big toe, pinky, and like under the heel, almost like grabbing the earth, like corkscrewing into the ground for a righty, going clockwise, counterclockwise for a lefty. But yeah, the push point would be the inside uh, back heel. Do you find that a lot of kids uh, have no idea that that's what's actually supposed to happen? Um, or do some just do it naturally and not know it either? Sure. I, I think there's a it's almost just a lack of experience or guys just trying to be athletic. I appreciate kids that are, that like they're, they're not coached out. Like the, 
the athleticism and efficiency isn't coached out of them. Um, it's funny, like I'll talk to Dan, our pitching coach, and he sends me videos and I see videos of his son and just the movements are perfect, right? And he's never learned anything and he's five years old and it's just so clean and it's awesome. And it's like, you wish you could teach that to an 18, 22, 25 year old pro. Um, but it's just so organic, right? He's just trying to get the bat to the ball or just trying to get his arm out front. It, it's fun. So, um, yeah, I don't even know. Like, yes, they have no idea, but to none of their fault. Right, yeah. I Sometimes I see guys, especially pitchers, mess around and throw footballs before, before games. Uh, do you guys do any of that up there? We do. Yeah, we do a lot of quarterback drills. Um, the, the football throwing, we tailored into a couple guys' programs. Um, some of it for keeping their slot tight if we want to keep a guy inside 90, keeping their angle a little bit more acute or repatterning a guy. We had a lot of success last year. Um, but from an athleticism standpoint, we do a lot of quarterback drills trying to get into that load posteriorly, guys running uh, on the move to just organize their body, stuff like that, keeping it fun, keeping it athletic, almost like subliminally helping them be athletic and feel their body out. And some guys, it actually repatterns their arm really well where they don't even realize it. Like, I played quarterback in high school, and my quarterback motion is way different than my uh, baseball motion. And it's, like, subconscious. So I think sometimes it's, uh, it's really good for them to do things without them even, even knowing what's going on. It's kind of like, um, you know, shooting hoops, going to run and play a game of basketball instead of going to run poles, right, which is kind of yeah. antiquated anyway. But it's still running, right? Um, I would much rather go play hoops than, than go than go run, but you're still getting that anaerobic uh, end game. I guess that's in a sense similar to weighted balls, where you're trying to repattern your arm um, and just using a di- different implement than a baseball. Absolutely, I mean a football is heavier than a baseball, right? Yeah, uh, but yeah. you have to stay tight in order to throw it. You don't see guys getting long. I mean, I know Tebow got absolutely killed in the media for having a little bit longer arm stroke back whenever he got drafted. He cleaned it up a little bit, but most of the guys you see are pretty tight. They go into uh, into layback pretty well, and, and they're pretty efficient movers. Another question I get a lot is, and I'm, I'm that's just why I wanted to ask it is, kids who fly open when they throw, is there a, why why do you think that is, and is there ways you help correct that? Are you talking fr- like top half? Or are yeah, you talking with their- I guess maybe we could talk about both, or I don't know if it's the same thing. Yeah, I would, I would start by saying, like, without seeing any individual kid, I would start by saying most of the time my mind tends to go back to their first move. What are they doing? Are they, are they getting out of their hips? Are they getting out of their center of mass? Are they, they drifting down the mound going too fast? Are their hands breaking late? A lot of it is a compensation, right? What happened at the start is going to tell us this is a big Lance Wheeler thing, the core velocity belt founder who we've, we've relied on a lot. But I really agree with it. Um, he talks about how, like, how a ball of yarn unwinds tell you how it was wound up. And I really agree. If you don't get the first point at least somewhat right, we're probably going to have compensations down the line and compensations off of that. So that's hopefully that answers your question. Um, a few things we do is, is the first thing I do is would love to teach them how to get into the first spot correctly. What you're talking about, loading that hip, that deadlift or squat people talk about. But a couple constraint drills you could do is, is – maybe a heavy ball in their glove to keep them closed. You can push them closed. You can hold them closed. There's certain ways to do it. But again, I don't want to correct the compensation with more compensation. So I'd love to correct the first move. And then organically, hopefully it just, it gets them in better spots to repeat. Very well said. I, I totally agree. I, I love the, the Lance Wheeler analogy. And 
I like what he says too of how the kinetic chain doesn't start in the ground. It starts between the ears. And so, uh, you know, so much of, of what your body's going to do is going to be off of, you know, what you're thinking, what are you, what are your thoughts at that moment? Um, because of that, what do you, how, how do you take that information and help a pitcher, right? Because, and this is something that I've been doing a lot more on the hitting side where it, I, I used to, when I first started, it was all about drills, what kind of drills, 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 drills. And the longer I've been doing it, I know it's not really about the drill. It's how the player interprets the drill. So we talk a little bit, a lot more about mentally what they're thinking or feeling. Do you do similar stuff on the pitching side when you're, when you're working with someone? Yeah, so we're, we're actually getting into this very heavily. And um, I wish I had this when I played. I guess I can go into a twofold answer. One thing we, we made a big initiative last year was the classroom setting. Um, Dan and I kind of made an initiative where I saw it starting to trend in pro ball um, and really enjoyed it where we literally would make PowerPoints, we'd make Prezi's and these Canva apps where we would literally take the guys and say, okay, you're going to be on Rapsodo. And we essentially dumbed down the entire thing. Here's what Rapsodo is. Here's what spin rate is. Here's what axis is. Here's what vertical break is. So if you see it when we're in a pitch design session, we're being intentional about it. That's what we're talking about. So you can understand it. And then we know that these kids are going to go home. They're the smartest kids they've, they've ever been, right? Technology. They're going to go in rabbit holes and look at it. And a lot of them come in already pitching on Rapsoda or Trackman before, right? Um, so that's the first thing we did is not just for the data analytics, but for, for a lot of drills, the drill packages that we have for our guys, kind of giving them a whole menu and they can pick what they like or we kind of apply, okay, you're this guy, so this, these three drills probably apply to what we think you need to do. Um, the second part of it, I'm kind of losing my train of thought here. We have the classroom setting on oh, the second part would be like an actual questionnaire assessment of how they learn. Um, and that's something new. I literally have like a rough draft of it right here, but we're talking like, do you like the numbers? Do you like the pitching talks? Do you like, uh, are you a kinesthetic learner? Are you a visual learner? Do you want to see video of it? And I think with the younger kids that I work with um, in the private sector, they love the videos. I'll show them a video of, hey, I'm trying to teach you, you know, to, to match your hips with the, with the plane of the, of the mound. And the other day I pulled up a video of my old teammate, Lucas Giolito, and drew a line on it. And it's like, and then the kid goes, that registers. Um, so I think a lot of them are learning that way. So we're just trying to figure out how they like to learn because um, that's what it's about, right? Like if we understand it and they don't, who cares? We need them to, to, to hopefully comprehend it. And then the, the other part of it is this reciprocation of the player, like just being honest with us. If you don't understand it, please don't go try the drill or what we're trying to have the task at hand because we want you to coach yourself. But if you're coaching yourself bad patterns, that's a whole nother process that we have to then come back and address. So that's another thing we've talked about is just the honesty portion, which has been really, really good. But I think a lot of players don't want to sound uninformed or sound stupid or be afraid right we want them to have that open line of communication especially with me trying to be a translator and helping them with the data to then help dan talk to them about it um if you don't understand it there's still things i don't understand either i'm not afraid to outsource or, or talk through it I, I, i'll just be totally honest with that yeah i think i think the questionnaire is brilliant i mean i really do and i've started doing that a little bit recently and you can I think especially if you don't know a player really, really well yet, I think for them it's more comfortable 
and they can be more honest if they can fill that out and it's not face to face. I, I do believe that. Um, and I've been able to see that just by some of the responses that I've, I've been able to, to get. I love the Canva idea too of the, the pictures and being able to visualize. I think so many kids are, are visual learners. And so you, you really need to show them. And to your point, a couple of times you, you, you know, what do just said? just click for a guy you showed him exactly what what uh you know your one of your teammates did and he got it right away i just i don't know for me i i've noticed that i don't know if you notice that trend too where most of these base i don't know if it's just baseball players or kids in general are visual learners no doubt i, I, mean, I read something the other day i think it's a stanford um research project that 90 percent of what we learn we learn visually whether it's reading wow. watching stuff like that that blew my mind. That's a wow. huge number. And I don't, I guess I'm not smart enough to realize how else we'd learn. Um, obviously <laughs> through experience in other ways, but I mean, you have to see it, right? But these kids, like you think about the screen, right? That third screen, the, the phone, the iPads, all that stuff. I mean, they're growing up with that stuff. That's how they learn. And they're, they're really efficient at searching stuff on Google, Twitter, Instagram. And I think you can go down some of the wrong holes with that, but there's more information than ever. And if you find something that you believe in or you find a guy that's a comp for you or something that you like, bring it to us. And let's talk about it. Or if it, if it helps you, I, like I remember in high school, like I would just go watch Pujols videos whenever, whenever I was struggling hitting and just be like, I'm going to match that. I'm going to put my hands flat behind me and hopefully just get to the ball like Albert Pujols. And like, you know, little did I know 10, 15 years later, whatever it is now, it's like kids are doing that. But now we have a basis and can track that like data wise, which is, which is awesome. It's just, again, it's, just a quicker uh, turnaround time. Yeah, it is. It is a, a, a way quicker turnaround time. And, and I, you know, it seems as if you guys at Ohio state are, are really progressive. I mean, just, this is our first interaction, but I can definitely tell, I mean, you're all in all this stuff and, and really open-minded uh, growth mindset, have, have humility too, which is so important in my opinion. Um, and so I'm glad we're doing this because I, I for me, I'm not coaching college baseball. I'm in the professional round, but I do help train players at all ages, professional, college, high school, um, privately too. And so I'm always looking for places, especially locally. And even though I'm not a pitching guy, I assume you guys are doing similar stuff on the hitting side too, where they can go to a place where they're going to be have the same kind of lingo. They're going to sit. They're going to have a place where they're progressive as well and they don't have they don't think they know all the answers and development is such a huge piece of the puzzle um and you went to ohio state you know you said you've lived there every off season um throughout your playing career did you notice a change at ohio state like the last few years of of going being more progressive was it when you came back that ever that everything changed like when did you start to see the transition yeah so um I came back last year. So this was Dan Delush, our pitching coach's uh, first year as well. Um, and from that regard, I think we just, they wanted a fresh voice in there with Dan. And I think Dan trusted me from the um, data analytics side, the movement side. Um, I, I just wanted to work, man. And I have a, I have a, a really, really big passion for this place. Um, turned my life around. I, I, have a, I owe a lot to this place and to Coach Beals, our head coach. Um, so I have a passion for it. And I, I, again, I think you're really missing the boat if you don't at least dive into this stuff. 
Like I'm not going to say we're some far right extremist player development place where we're going on crazy models. Um, but I'd also be lying to you if I said, I haven't thought about it, like in my head, like <laughs> I think we can maybe try some of this stuff. Right. Because I think every guy has unique traits where this might work for one guy where some guys like we don't, we, we don't tell them anything about data analytics where we kind of just translate it into do this, but there's been a lot of like research and thought and individual talks about that player to go down that route, if that makes sense, to have that restraint, to not tell them anything. And then we have our, we have a, uh, like a uh, engineering major who he can talk us under the table with some of this stuff and he wants to hear it. And he wants to know, you know, how much induced vertically had and is, is a spin mirror. What, you know, how different are the axes on the mirroring? And it's fun because it, it challenges us too. And that's something that, again, I really miss the one-on-one -on -one competition pitcher to hitter. And I think I can get that with my players competing with myself to give them the best um, from my side and then to give it to Dan to then really disperse throughout the entire staff. And that's why what you just said right there is why you need to be able to understand that stuff because you're going to have like that, in, that kid who's an engineering major, you're going to have players who it helps them to speak that lingo. Like that's how they communicate. That's how the brain registers. So you need to be able to talk that talk and then sim sim simplify it for a lot of the other players too. So you need to be able to do both um, in my own opinion. Um, and then another, another thing that I, I kind of just thought of just talking on, on top of that too, is when, when recruits are, are coming in and looking at different places to go, they, they want to know, I, I believe more now than ever what's going to be going on the player development side. I mean, I, and I, especially with social media, I, if kids aren't doing their homework, that's on them, but they're going to be asking the players who are already there, what's going on, what are they doing player development wise? How are the coaches? Cause again, you know, any kid can go and play at, you know, a school that offers them, but if he has multiple schools that offer them, and especially in your case at Ohio state, it's probably if you're recruiting a kid, he probably has a few different offers, um, especially um, in the Big Ten. So, to, I mean, to pick a school like Ohio State, it's going to be smart on his behalf because you guys are going to develop him um, as a player. Yeah, so I don't, I don't handle recruiting uh, specifically. So, like, I'll, I'll get my opinion asked on some guys, but I can't actually go recruit. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I think it's a great point where, like, the people that we want are guys that, that want this information, maybe not the actual raw data, but they want to know how to get themselves to the next level. I was listening to a podcast the other day that Dan, our pitching coach actually sent me the guy's name slipping my, uh, my brain, but he used to be the strength and conditioning coordinator at Exos in Arizona. He's like the head of strength and conditioning at uh, Irish rugby, which is a pretty big deal over in Europe. And he was talking about like a coach. Oh, uh, a Winkleman. Winkleman, Nick, yep. Nick Winkleman, yep, yeah. Nick Winkleman. And he was talking about like when he thinks of a coach making an effect on a player, it's where are you now? How can I get you to where you want to be? And I would say hopefully 100% of guys want to play at the next level. And then from the next level, I think there's somewhat of a disconnect, not in our guys or any guys in general. Dra getting drafted is not the end goal, right? Making it to high A is not the end goal, right? Can you make the big leagues and stick? And I can't speak to sticking because I, I wasn't good enough to do that. With that being said, how can we get you there? Like this stuff, if you have that common language and it's ingrained to you from 18 to 22 and you learn it, right, you're only going to get more of it at the pro level. 
But if we can kind of give them that basis to go to the brass or go to their pitching coach or go to summer ball and say, hey, here's my attack plan. Here's what I've really been working on. Here's what I do well. Here's what I stay away from. Here's my, my zone of attack, and here's why. I think they're going to have a really big leg up. Um, but I think that's a differentiator because um, you're going to have different catchers. You're going to have different coaches. There's turnover in pro ball, as you know, where, where if you know yourself and you can coach yourself and kind of audit what you do well, and hopefully we can give you a, a pretty good idea of that. Um, I think that's going to be kind of the new revolution of player development is, is guys being their own coach, knowing their own data to then go ahead and execute on it, which is obviously the, uh, the hardest part of the whole process. Totally agree. And I mean, Brad, you played in the big leagues, um, as you just mentioned, you, know, you weren't able to stay that long, but still you're one of, I, I forget how many guys who have actually even played in the major leagues, like 20,000 or 25,000. I mean, it's insane to think about how, how few have actually stepped on a big league field and, and played in a, in a game. Why do you believe it's so hard to stay there? Because everyone says that it's one thing to get there, but it's another thing to stay there. Why do you think it's so hard to stay there? And I'm sure there's a couple of different, you know, there's the business aspect of it too and, and numbers and, and things of that nature, but maybe just from your own experience, why do you think it, it is so hard to stay there? Oh, it's just such a what for what have you done for me lately business, right? There, there's just people chomping at the bit to, to take your job. And every year, I mean, the draft was only five rounds this year, but, you know, you think about football, you pretty much just have America and maybe a couple other countries that maybe disperse a few players into the NFL. Think about baseball, right? The, the Latin community is, is, are just unreal players, and they're not stopping bringing players over. You're seeing Korean baseball have a little bit of a pop right now at ESPN, the Japanese players, Venezuelans, you name it. Even um, European a little bit. Europeans getting better, 100%. Yeah. Everywhere is getting better, right? So you have just a mass amount of players, and you see the technology expediting the process of player development right now. And these teams aren't making as many mistakes with you know investing in guys and bringing guys up, right? So um, listen, the players are really good, man. <laughs> I mean, they're really yeah. good players. Um, there's a lot of talent. There's not a lot that goes unseen with the scouting departments now and then the data aiding and, and hopefully getting that right. Um, so there's a lot of things that go into it, but there's just a, a lot of really good players who know what they're doing and compete, you know, night after night. Um, and there's a lot of guys that, that just aren't willing to put in that work to be consistent. There's not a, like a lot of guys in the big leagues, could, you know, or in double A could play in the big leagues. Can they do it night overnight, overnight, be durable and, and give them that, you know, average to above average look? I, I don't know. But yeah, I hope that answers your question because I went a roundabout way. I wish I had a, I would still be there if I knew the answer, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean, Patrick? So. For sure. Um, how, what was your men, mental game like when you were there? Did you, were you doubting yourself when you were in the big leagues? Um, when I first got there, no. I was on a big roll and I thought it was somewhat overdue, to be honest. Um, I thought I got snubbed a couple times, which put a little chip in my shoulder. Um, I had like a little injury. And then um, after that, I kind of started doubting myself from like a self-confidence, like in my, not so much my stuff. Like I thought I should be there. I thought I earned it. And I had a lot of friends that were there. We were in a big rebuild. And a lot of guys I came up with were already starting to be there. Um, once I had a little bit of injury and then didn't start out super hot, I got sent back down, came back up. My first outing was really good face like uh, Turner, Bellinger, Peterson with the Dodgers when they were, I think they went to the World Series that year. Um, one, two, three, I was like, all right, like maybe, you know, maybe we turn the corner. 
Um, and then walks were just a huge issue for me. Guys were just eliminating things. Um, but no, I was always pretty mentally strong because I, I mean, I was a, I was a senior sign. I signed at 23. I should have been there anyway. Um, where I, I mentally like knew that I was fine. I was challenging dudes. I was in the back end of the pen in, in the minor leagues. Um, but I guess once I got there and saw the discipline of hitters, uh, maybe knew that there was an uphill battle where I needed to get my command or, or even control. I didn't have command, uh, my control, you know, up to snuff. So mentally I was good. Physically, my stuff was there. Control-wise was an issue, frankly. So you said um, hitters started to eliminate stuff and the hitters were more disciplined. Was Is that the biggest difference between – um, high-level minor league players and big league players as they eliminate stuff and their plate discipline as a pitcher, in your opinion? Yeah, I think that they're more willing to hit with uh, – they're more willing to hit with strikes on them. They're not afraid to punch out because of it, right? They want to get off A swings for the most part, it seems like. Um, or you'll see guys early in the game, they'll, they'll take a couple pitches or sniff a guy out. and Maybe they'll even K to, to get some intel because then they can go back and – it's funny, like the guy, you know, our players will ask, like, what's it like? And I'm like, well, you'll see it, you know, see some guys set you up and they'll look horrible to slider. And you guys immediately think, we got to go to the well three more times, throw it to the cows come home. No, they want you to throw that thing again, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, they can handle most pitches for the most part. Um, yeah, I mean, if you execute and you get ahead, life's a lot easier. You get behind, like if you're 2-0 in the big leagues and, and you're a guy like me who's not established, you're praying, I mean, you're just praying to to a higher power that they don't get off an A-plus swing here. You know what I mean? So yeah. executing does, never goes out of style from little league to the big leagues, right? If you're ahead in the count and you execute your pitches, I think it plays. Um, if you're behind the count, it's going to be tough from a pitching standpoint. But, yeah, they're not afraid to hit with, uh, with strikes, with, you know, being down in the count, which is, which is not fun. How big was scouting reports, heat maps, that sort of a thing um, in your preparation as a pitcher? So with Chicago, it was um, we had scouting reports sent to us like on iPads and stuff. Um, I needed to get better at learning about them. Um, frankly, the, like the advanced stuff when I was there w was lacking. Now that I know what I know, got to Arizona, found out like individual heat maps and could do overlays of my heat map versus your heat map, and that's when my like the light bulb went off in my head. So I was like a big slider guy. And if I saw a guy's slugging or contact rate on a slider was low or I saw like down and away to a righty, glove side for me was bad for them, I knew I had you. I was going to continue to go to that well. Um, once I figured out where my attack plan was versus their weakness or stay away from their strength, that's when it got really fun for me um, where I had a lot of confidence. It was more the retention of it where I had to think, you know, I didn't want to overthink it because my strengths are my strengths. Um, I don't want to throw a guy my third best pitch when I'm, you know what I mean? When it's an even counter pitch, I need to win. So it's all things that went in my head when I got to Arizona, it really, really changed my thought process and just, it gave me a plan, which gave me confidence, which is kind of the ultimate over, you know, 30,000 foot view, the plan to throw what I know I can throw where I want to throw it and knowing that it's going to work metrically. And then seeing that back end actually work. I told you about that two month run I went on was just a ton of confidence. And when you have confidence, I think life's a lot easier on the field. When you say stick to your strengths, is that more so a particular pitch? Because I'd imagine it's pretty dang hard to go, okay, it's 2-1 to Justin Turner. 
He crushes sliders low and away. He struggles up and in. Okay, I'm going to go hard up and in here. Do you, I mean, is that a, a thought process right there? It, it happens a lot, it, uh, like more than you would think. With that being said, like if I can't execute either one of those pitches or if his strength and my strength are there, I'll, I'll tip my cap if he can hammer that pitch because I'm not going to try to throw a backdoor slider when I don't train backdoor sliders. Um, if up and in is a bad spot for me and I can't get it there, which is why I'm now talking to you and coaching, like <laughs> there's guys that can do that stuff, right? Or can at least try to get there. Um, so yeah, it, it's pitch and it's location where you feel comfortable with that stuff, right? Where are you going to go when you need to? Or what is like your plan B? We talk about that with our guys at OSU a lot, right? If, if your fastball is your number one pitch, your most used pitch, your usage rate's the highest, and you don't have your fastball that day, are you going to force feed heaters till you get taken out of the game? Or are you going to throw your second best pitch and maybe use that to calibrate you to get you back to then where you don't even think about the fastball commands off anymore? Do you know what your plan B is versus in-game go, uh-oh, and then I have to think about it. Like, have you already thought about it? Have you already planned for that? And that's something where – I had a pitching coach, J.R. Purdue, with the White Sox, who taught me that, um, talking about your plan B, because my slider, I threw it for su such a high amount of strikes, and I got a lot of swing and misses. And, and this was before the slider revolution, and you know where guys are ripping sliders over 50% of the time. It's like 2014. And he's like, you're throwing it a lot, but you're throwing it for strikes. How can I argue with you? So if that needs to be your calibrator because your fastball is not as consistent, then do it. And, and now you're seeing it's like, it, it's not weird for someone to throw more than 50% breaking balls out of the bullpen. Why do you think there's – it's at the younger levels specifically, even college levels, guys are afraid to throw in, it seems. And I say that I was – I did a podcast the other day with Michael Early, hitting coach at Arizona State, and they and had the White Sox one guy. pick. Yeah, they had number one picks, uh, Spencer uh, Torkelson. And, you know, he was even talking about how – all of his, a lot of his home runs were opposite field, center field, because guys were staying middle way. They wouldn't come in. And so, I mean, I, I think on both sides, pitchers give hitters too much credit. Hitters give pitchers too much credit. Are you big on establishing it on the zone in to be able to work away? Um, yeah, so I guess I have two two thought presses on there. I have one of let's go old school, new school. So like psychological and then analytically psychologically, I think some people are afraid to go in there. They don't see the right tunnel. They don't see the right window. They're afraid they're going to hit somebody, especially the younger kids, you know, pre high school, maybe even high school. Uh, once you get into college players who have enough innings under their belt or hitters, you know, can stand on top of the plate, whatever. Um, it's just not comfortable to go in there sometimes. And, and I, I buy that at some extent. But if you're comfortable in what you're doing, like, I don't, I don't really care if I hit somebody. Um, I do think that there is value in establishing in. Um, with that being said, analytically, if you think if you're going opposite side hitter, so righty versus lefty, this is why the sinker is dying. Um, you're giving them the biggest part of the barrel, right? The biggest part of the bat is going to the ball moving the slowest. So if you're right on right, it works. If you're right on left going in, that's into someone's path. So if you're trying to throw like a sinker away to a guy, that's why it's dying. If you're going sinker in, that could work right on right. Right on left, now you're going to have to use breaking balls, if that makes sense. That's why some of it is dying a little bit. But going in, you just have more barrel to use. Um, so depending on the attack plan or where you're trying to tunnel or what line you're going to, I think it works for some guys. 
but other guys, I, I don't know if the risk is worth the reward from an analytical, you know, outcome standpoint. Okay. I'm, hey, I, I just, you know, thought of it. I'm glad, you know, you know more about it than, than I do. So that makes sense to me. And I, it, there's some, I, sorry for interrupting. There's some organizations that believe going in, it, 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 there's zero value if you believe that or not pitching. There's some, wow. there's some organizations that think like, if you think of run expectancy, like balls in play, you're going to see more balls in play. It's why guys get jammed and fisted, like stuff like that. But it's still put the ball in play because a swing and miss is the only negative run expectancies outcome, right? If you put the ball in play, something good can happen technically. So there's some organizations that truly believe going in is horrible, which is, you know, kind of crazy if you really think about it, because it is, you know, two of the four quadrants, if you really think about it. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, this has been this has been awesome. I uh, really appreciate everything you know you've you've been able to share with us today, Brad. This has been great. Is there anything else you'd want to share um, to everyone who's going to be listening and watching to this? No, I'm good, man. I appreciate having me on. It's uh, it's fun to talk baseball, especially in these uh, crazy times. It's good to see uh, the amateur stuff starting back up, and you know, Lord knows with pro ball uh, if they're going to strike a deal here. But um, no, it's great talking baseball. It's nice talking with you. Absolutely. Uh, fingers crossed on the major league deal. Yeah, man. I no comment. I hope it happens. I hope that the players get you know get it done. But uh, until then, I'll be I'll be on the golf course and uh, going down some crazy rabbit holes with uh, OSU. So love it.